Hi everyone, this is Charting Queer Health, the podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, my name is Matt and I'm going to be your host. So a little bit about me, uh, I am a cis white gay man living in Chicago. I moved here about six months ago and I've been working for Howard Brown since about September. Uh, I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts across our organization, across our community, learn from their expertise, amplify their stories, their voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Joining us today is Corey Brown. Corey, thank you for coming. Would you mind uh, introducing yourself and your role and your pronouns? Sure. My name is Corey Brown. I'm a staff physician at, at Howard Brown, and my pronouns are he, his, him. Um, I'm a, a combined internal medicine and a pediatrics physician, so I see um, uh, children and young people at Howard Brown, and then I see adults for general health care. Awesome. So uh, a little bit of everything, it seems like. Sure. Um, the topic I kind of wanted to bring you in today to talk about uh, is a broad one, so uh, feel free to to narrow down the scope in your answers. But um, a lot of the the things I'm I'm hearing from our community and kind of sourcing topics for this podcast was talking about um, provider patient relationships, uh, not like in a romantic way, in in a professional way to kind of accomplish the best outcome for our health. For a lot of queer people um, and uh, people of differing identities, healthcare traditionally isn't always. Uh, a fun place to be. Uh, it's it's uh, hard to disclose things about your identity for fear of, of repercussions or judgment. That makes healthcare kind of an interesting process to navigate. Um, so I wanted to kind of get your perspective on, um, you know, as a provider, how does, how does Howard Brown uh, handle this? Uh, and uh, as patients, how can we make ourselves easier to treat, so to speak? How, how can we uh, navigate it well on our end? Um, so Speaking really broadly, do you think our current healthcare system uh, nationally is conducive to uh, like a healthy provider-patient relationship? I think most providers agree that it's not. It's pretty terrible. I, I think that um, over the, the past 20, 30 years, the model has been um, directed by the way that payments are made. And so uh, the visits are, are squeezed for quantity and and over time they become um, shorter and, and uh, providers are uh, pressured to see more and more people in less time. And that means that there's less time to talk about the things that patients are interested in. There's less time for patient education. And then also the documentation about um, the visit has become the priority. So oftentimes your provider is spending most of their time just uh, checking all the boxes out that are needed to get insurance to pay for the visit, and that takes away from the dynamics of the visit. So it's getting worse and worse. There's no end in sight, and it, I think it makes it really hard for uh, patients because the priorities of the visit aren't necessarily what um, is happening in that visit for the patient. Yeah, I mean, I know speaking personally, everybody's kind of had that experience where it's just a routine checkup, but the doctor is firing off questions like smoke, drink, what do you do this, that, this, and you're just like trying to give them the right answer and move along quickly because everyone does sort of feel that squeeze for time. Uh, so I definitely understand that. And I'm sure it's 10 times harder on the provider end to try to give your best self to every patient, you know, every room that you walk into to, to be there for them, but also have this kind of ticking clock in the back of your head. Um, being that Howard Brown um, has kind of a different model for how we um, process payments and stuff, do you think that helps uh, or... Um, makes that kind of crunch for time better or worse, do you think? Yeah, I, th I think we, we, we do have some privilege in that we're not so focused on the bottom line. We, we are a, a FQHC, which gives us some 
um, some leeway. To, Can you explain what that means? Yeah. So as a federal qualified healthcare system, we um, get some funding through the through the government, and a lot of the things that we provide are subsidized. So it takes away some of the pressure on uh, providing care for people that don't have access to insurance or don't have access to to funds. It helps us to um, bring healthcare to a broader group, which is nice. Um, and I, I think uh, Howard Brown has really tried to emphasize our team approach to healthcare. So the, just in general, FQHCs have a lot of turnover, and that's just a reality that will continue to exist. And so um, Howard Brown has really tried to make sure that patients are introduced to a team. So if their provider ends up taking on a new role somewhere else, you still know your nurse and your uh, medical assistant and, and uh, your front desk staff. Uh, so they're trying to make sure that people recognize that there's an entire team devoted to their health care instead of uh, just seeing your, your physician. Right. You want to be able to walk in and know that I you know, have a handful of people that are looking after my health, not just the doctor who walks in. I, you, know, you don't want to be anonymous to everybody else. Yeah. Um, I know one of the first things I was struck by when I started working here was the concept of uh, trauma-informed care. Can you dive into a little bit of what that means to you as a provider? Sure. I, I think more and more um, the healthcare system has had to recognize that people are coming to their health visits with um, baggage. And oftentimes that's not recognized that I think um, the, the model wants it to be more efficient and just wants people to have their, their three problems. But there's so much underlying uh, the agenda that um, providers that are trauma informed are trying to understand the motivations of the provider in that space. And um, present the goals of the visit within that context. And that um, that's difficult to do. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of um, um, dynamic conversation. And so it's, it's always a challenge, again, in the context of the way the healthcare system works. But I think we're getting better at it. I think, in general, the system is um, recognizing that's an important part of every patient-physician uh, encounter. Yeah. Um, I... Think back to uh, December 1st was World AIDS Day. So we were doing a lot of interviews um, with Kathy Kretikos about um, treating HIV and and kind of what the um, barriers to treatment would be for some people and, and how some people would knowingly choose to not take, um, you know, PrEP or antiretrovirals or whatever the case may be. Um, and, and there's so many you know, complex stories and identities and reasons why people either aren't linked to care or prefer not to, uh, d- you know, take on certain medications that their doctor uh, recommended. Um, and it just speaks to that trauma-informed care of like, you know, you could have a, a diagnosis and something that can help, um, but it's not as, but never as black as black and white as that. There's um, so many other factors underneath the surface as to why a patient might choose to or choose not to, or why they might have a hard time taking a medication, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it makes perfect sense, uh, our kind of dedication to trauma-informed care. And I really admire that about Howard Brown. Speaking personally, as a provider, how do you um, prepare yourself for um, patients of all different uh, ethnicities and backgrounds and identities? Um, before you walk in a door, what, what's your what's your mindset going into you know a patient's room? You know, you know I think... Um in medicine, physicians had been used to being um, the controller of information. And I, I think a lot of us, when we were trained, were uh, trained to think that way, that we uh, were the ones presenting the information. And it just doesn't work that way anymore. Everybody has access to huge amounts of information. And the real challenge is navigating it and trying to um, process the information. So I, I, I think it's important for physicians to recognize that um, the priorities of the patient are are, are really the way that the uh, visit should be prioritized. And so I, 
I, I try to make it a, an emphasis that um, the patient's goals and values are how we should direct the, the visit. And I want patients to feel empowered that they are the ones making the decisions about what uh, their healthcare will be, even if it doesn't align with what I think they should be doing or what I would recommend. I want them to feel like they can be honest about what they want to do or, or what they want to, how they want to use the information that I'm giving them. And I hope that I hope that makes them feel more at ease with trusting me with what their interests are during the visit. Yeah, and and especially, I mean. Howard Brown, the other, the other concept I uh, had been learning about was uh, harm reduction. So um, it's kind of uh, empowering people to live the lives that they're going to live, uh, for good or for bad, but using our role as healthcare provider to help them uh, navigate those situations safely and kind of, uh, I use the phrase, live their best life, which sounds really like girl bossy, yeah, um, but like to, to, to live their best life, uh, no matter what that looks like. So that makes sense to me. And I appreciate the level of uh, thoughtfulness that you put into your patient interactions. What are some common issues or concerns that patients have that could cause them to delay uh, or avoid care on a personal level, and and what uh, resources does Howard Brown have to help with that? Yeah, before I started working at Howard Brown, I didn't really recognize how um, how anxious people were to bring up sexual issues, and mm-hmm. so I think that's one of the most common things that uh, patients come in with an agenda, but don't uh, get to the agenda because they're embarrassed to talk about it or don't know how to bring it up, and then. There's a whole other issue around LGBTQ issues. People um, may feel comfortable even coming out to their provider or discussing the issues that um, are important to them because they don't feel their provider maybe will understand them or that they, they might have a negative view of them. So um, so again, I, I, I think during uh, visits, it's important that the provider get at the agenda of the patient and then use that to frame the visit instead of um, putting an agenda on them. Um, and yeah, I think Howard Brown really tries to train all of the staff to do that. I, 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 it's inherent that there are uh, racial and social and gender issues that are disinherent in the system, and everybody has their biases that they're trying to see around. And I, I think um, that's going to exist no matter what. But as long as we're all conscious of that and try to recognize how that's shaping the conversation, it it makes the the visit a lot more productive for for the patient. It strikes me that there's kind of a duality as a provider where there, it's kind of an art and a science uh, in that it's a science and that you have, you know, um, diseases and illnesses and things that you know how to treat from a science perspective. But then there's also an art of communicating it and making sure the patient understands and being able to kind of read the room, so to speak, and, and understand what's kind of going on inside a patient's head. I know for me, um, I moved here from Southwest Michigan pretty small town. Uh, and I had been going to my same family doctor forever. So when I needed to come out and then in turn to ask for prep, that was difficult for me. And I remember being in that visit, uh, and it, those are very basic, you know, pretty easy to handle things from a provider's perspective. Uh, but for me inside my head, I was like, Oh, like he also knows my parents. And even though I was out to them, like the concept of asking for prep was scary to me. Uh, and so I didn't even end up bringing it up until I like thought he was wrapping up the visit and I was like, Oh, and by the way, I'd like prep. And it was, it went fine. Uh, but I, I totally get that. You know, if, if I'm scared to admit that to a provider, there are people with a lot more complicated, uh, identities and problems and things on their chest that they need to disclose to their provider. That is really difficult. So yeah. I definitely, um, sympathize and I admire Howard Brown's kind of dedication to letting them 
put that out in the open in their in their visits. Sometimes physicians call those doorknob topics because as the as the doctor's leaving the room, as it has a hand on the door, then the patient will say, "Oh, by the way, doc, I, I need to ask you about erection issues, or I need to talk to you about." family issues. And it's just funny that that's the time that they feel to bring that up because then you don't have any time to discuss it. Right. Uh, you you were like, okay, ready to wind down. Then as soon as you're trying to leave, they bring up something that nece- necessitates an entire other visit. And it's like, well, could have started with that, but we'll get there. How important do you think honesty and communication is when it comes to healthcare or like queer healthcare more specifically? It is huge. It, uh, if I have two people that come to me that have a set of symptoms, and I don't know what their risks or exposures are, or what their behaviors are in their day-to-day life, it um, knowing that information changes how I will recommend they get treated or what we should screen for, what should we test for. So if they don't tell me the information, there's no way for me to know um, how to create their treatment plan. And, and the other issue is adherence. I, I, I think Early on in my career, I didn't really recognize that this was an issue, that if I prescribe someone a cholesterol medication and they keep coming back and their cholesterol is still high, the instinct I have is the medicine's not working, we need to increase the dose, we need to change the medicine. But if the whole issue is they're not taking the medicine, but they're not telling me they're not taking the medicine, then that's what we need to focus on. So if they don't feel comfortable telling me that or they feel that I'll be mad if, I, if they're not uh, taking my advice, then it, it derails the, the, the point of the visits. Yeah, I will say I had an experience like that recently. I had strep, was prescribed antibiotics, and of course, didn't take the last like four days of it. And then I thought I reinfected myself, so I went back, and the the provider was like, "Are you? You have to take all of them." And I was like scared to admit it. And so I yeah, I I get it that people are a little like, uh, "Can I? Can I be honest?" Like because in so many other facets of our life, whether it's you know education or professionally or even with family you know, being honest and fessing up to either messing up or, or something that you're not proud of, uh, has ramifications. Mm -hmm. And so people want to take that mentality over into the healthcare field of like, they're going to, you know, there's going to be negative side effects if I'm honest about the things that I didn't do or did do, uh, which it really shouldn't ever be that way. I mean, there is no negative repercussions. We just treat what we have to treat. Right. Um, what advice would you give, um, to people who are looking to establish a better provider-patient relationship. Um, maybe they don't have uh, access to a provider network like Howard Brown, um, or they're you know worried about, like me before I moved here, that their doctor isn't going to be accepting of them. How do you recommend they kind of go about approaching that relationship? So I, I think there's um, three things that are really helpful for the patient to do to get a successful visit. The first thing is to organize your information. So I, none of us are really trained on how to tell a story. And, and like we talked about before, providers are really under the gun during that visit that the visit is on a time limit. And so if it takes the entire visit to get the information, then you don't have a lot of time to um, discuss the plan. So I love patients when they walk in with a list of things. Even if we can't get to all those things, I know what they're thinking about or what they're uh, wanting to do. And so organize your information. And then, and then secondly, let the um, provider drive after that. It, uh, all of us uh, you know, find our, our own health issues interesting and important, but maybe you don't recognize that the provider has heard that same uh, topic many times and he knows all of the information that is needed to move on to the treatment plan. So like you were talking about before, sometimes a doctor's visit can feel a little bit like an interrogation because the doctor is just trying to get through a list of things that he needs to know to move on to the treatment plan. And although that isn't uh, natural, that doesn't feel like a natural way to have a conversation, uh, let your provider get through that list of, of um, questions so that you can move on to the to the treatment. 
And then lastly, um, it's really important that the, the patient is vocal about their priorities. And so if, if you know there's something that's important to you, uh, make sure that that's the focus that you bring up at the first of the visit instead of at the last uh, five seconds of the visit. So you can spend your visit talking about that thing, making sure that you leave that room with your, with your issue addressed. That makes perfect sense. I think a lot of people, um, you know, healthcare visits are seen as sort of a last minute thing to squeak in and there's not really any like personal prep needed for them. Uh, but I think I know for me, I would probably be better served if you, like you said, organize a list, get your information together. And so that way you can go into your healthcare visit and really lay things out and not have to think or, because I'm always the type of person I'll leave a conversation in any setting and go, Oh, shit, I forgot to bring that up. Or I, I could have phrased that better. Uh, and that's true for healthcare. So if you can kind of lay that all out beforehand, uh, things go a lot better. And it's also interesting that you brought up, like it, it may seem like a provider is, maybe ignoring or not paying as much attention to a certain need, but it's probably because they just know how to treat it really well. And they don't think that there's more information needed. Like yeah, it, it may be huge in your head, but to them it's pretty solvable. So they're going to, you know, give some more attention to other things that you brought up in terms of not only, uh, you know, medically, but personally patients want to feel like their doctor is somebody that they like, that they get along with, uh, but there's also this weird tension between like keeping things very professional and like making small talk. How do you navigate patients that like want to overshare about their life or do you have a policy when it comes to sharing about your life? I mean, there is some sort of personal connection that I think is needed for a good healthcare relationship, but like you said, you also don't have time. So where do you, where do you draw the line on that? Yeah. You know, that is a, that's a difficult topic to discuss, especially in LGBTQ, um, spaces because a lot of the providers in those spaces are also also identify as LGBTQ, which uh, means they're often going to see their patients out at the bar. They're going to yeah. see their patients um, in, in spaces that are focused for our community. And so that's I think that is difficult to, to negotiate. I, I think um, for me, oftentimes I will redirect the conversation and I try to do that in a way that doesn't feel um, um, dismissive, dismissive. Yeah. But oftentimes I'll say the, tell the patient, uh, I just want to make sure we're focused on what I can solve in this visit and um, try to bring it back to the topic at hand. So again, uh, letting your uh, physician drive the conversation is really helpful. It, it's if I if I was at a, a bar after work and talking to someone, you let the conversation go where it goes, and that's the natural way that we all have conversations. But in this setting, it's really important that um, the the conversation is directive, and you're maximizing the time that you have together. So even though that might feel a little unnatural. Um, that's the best way to get what you need out of that visit. Yeah, I guess time is of the essence. And and while we would all like to be besties with our provider, it's not a reality yet that we can accommodate. So so that makes sense. Do you, do you think it's maybe better that you know less about people's personal lives? Or is that a kind of a, a pro and a con, so to speak? Because there's always biases involved with healthcare. Do you think knowing too much about somebody's life could impede good um, healthcare in certain situations? Or do you think getting to know people on a personal level will always be of benefit to a provider? Yeah, I mean, you have to have a rapport. If you're going to trust somebody with the information about your intimate health, you need to make sure you feel like you can trust them, that you know them. I think that's why a lot of people seek out providers that identify in the same way they identify, because that you feel like you can cut through uh, some information that they'll understand things about your life that you don't need to explain. But, um, but again, it, it, it's, it's a hard um, thing to negotiate because you also want to make sure that the information you're extracting from people is useful to you, that you're not just um, asking the questions out of curiosity, <laughs> that you're, you're trying to get information that'll help them to create a treatment plan. So, um, 
So yeah, I, I, I think you need to make sure that you have the primary goal in, in mind during your conversation, what you're trying to accomplish, which is hopefully to solve a, a healthcare issue. Mm-hmm. Um, good answer, I know that was a curveball. Um, also feel free if I'm like skipping over questions or you have something else that you wanna bring up, dive right in, I'm good with that. Um, I know, um, never mind. That's kind of what I, we talked about before about uh, what small actions can a patient take to make themselves easier to treat. And I think that's kind of just rehashing what we talked about before. Um, speaking kind of specifically, how do you tailor your care depending on the identity of your patient? Do you um, alter your process or the way you communicate, like specifically if someone is trans um, or cis or queer or straight? Um, what specifics can you uh, bring to the table to kind of comfort those people in those spaces? Um, I think one of the things I love about working at Harbron is that um, we were allowed to encounter with a, a lot of vulnerable populations. And I, I think a lot of people have been abused in the healthcare system. That uh, I, I've heard a lot of horror stories about trans people showing up to the ER and having really um, invasive, uh, unrelated exams and questions. So when, when I'm presented with a patient that I know has had difficulty with the healthcare system, I really try to build a rapport with that person and make them understand that they are in charge of what we're um, doing in our in our visits. They're in charge of their health care that I'll try to help them na- navigate it, but I want them to feel um, like they're running the 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 ship. Um, and then and then assuring patients that even if their um, their values or goals aren't aligned with what I'm recommending, that I'm going to continue to advocate for them and that I'm on their side. If if um, a patient feels defensive or feels um, like they're having to work around an obstacle, uh, that the provider is an obstacle to get to what they want, then that conversation is not going to be very productive. It's going to be difficult to um, to get to the to the goal. So the most important thing I think is that both the provider and the and the patient feel like they're working together to achieve something, and that takes a lot of time. I I, I think it's easier for people that have had an easy process of working in the healthcare system, but a lot of people haven't, and that uh, you have to work your way through that trauma to, to get to a relationship that works. One thing that I, I think is really interesting in the, in the current landscape in the, in the healthcare system is uh, this emphasis on specialization. And so providers oftentimes coming through training are navigating toward learning a very specific area of medicine. And LGBT care is one of those things. It's, it's becoming a fellowship. And a lot of people, when they leave training, are going on to programs that just focus on LGBT care, which I have really mixed feelings about. LGBT care should really be primary care. And, and in an ideal world, uh, anyone would be able to go to any general provider and get the care that they need. It shouldn't be something that feels like you can only get at a specialty center like, like Howard Brown. Um, PrEP is a perfect example of that, is PrEP really should be available to any family doctor, but it isn't because a lot of those doctors don't feel comfortable or feel like they're um, informed enough to prescribe that medication. So um, so I, I don't know. It's it's great in a place like Chicago where it's easy to access a, a clinic like Howard Brown, but in places like Michigan or in sm- small areas, uh, I, I feel like patients sometimes have to advocate for themselves to make healthcare work for them. And it never feels good to be the one sort of training your doctor how to care for you. But uh, a lot of people are in that situation. As long as your um, your physician is upfront about that, that maybe they, they haven't taken care of a patient that has your specific needs, if they're willing to learn and they're willing to work with you, you can build a relationship that's really um, beneficial for both of you. You can get the needs uh, met that, um, that 
that you're wanting. It just sometimes takes a little bit of work. And like I say, advocating for yourself and making sure that you, you're verbalizing what you need from the provider and then sensing if they're able to provide that to you. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, that's kind of a topic that I wanted to broach maybe later on um, for another episode uh, is kind of how does um, the training that we currently have in place for our providers, um, is is it equipping us well um, for LGBT care and, and how do we, um, like you said, is it is it better to view it as a specialization or just general care? Because um, when you kind of put it into a specialization, then it then it feels, you know, like you said, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have as quality access across the country. It might be good in, in certain cities where that specialization is available, but um, for, you know, your hometown clinic, they'll probably view it as out of their hands and then access to care is harder. Um, you know, at other clinics that I've, I've worked in, LGBT topics sometimes are specialized even within the clinic. Like uh, um, there will be a, a provider that specializes in providing hormones or someone that specializes in HIV care. And one thing that I love about Howard Brown is that all the providers are expected to um, learn and provide all of the aspects of care that um, that, that are entailed in LGBT um, healthcare. So I would hope that ultimately that um, becomes the norm. It would be it would be ideal if in medical school and in um, internships and residencies that we're all trained to approach and um, treat LGBT patients and understand uh, things like PrEP and sexual health and, and hormones. It's It'll take a long time to get there. I don't know if that will happen um, with the direction that we're all going, but that should be the way it, it is, that you should be able to go next door and meet your family doctor and um, and, and get those needs met. So I don't know. We'll see where, where things go, but that would be the, the ideal, I think. Like I said earlier, when I was talking to Dr. Kratikos about HIV care, um, she was saying an important factor with it is just normalizing it and um, kind of making it the standard across the board to test everybody for HIV, whether uh, you're you know cis or straight or whatever your identity is, um, just normalizing it uh, because um, that makes all of our providers well-versed in it. It makes it normal for patients. Uh, and and so people that, people that might be at high risk for that don't feel stigmatized or, or put off and... and uh, it's sort of applicable on a broader scale to the LGBTQ plus community of like, if everybody is asked those questions regarding their sexuality and their healthcare, and it's it's normalized across the board, whatever your identity is, then uh, we can reduce stigma and fear that people might feel uh, entering into healthcare spaces if they have those identities or if that's um, part of their life. Yeah, I think that's true. I guess the bottom line is that I, I hope patients recognize that, again, they're in charge of their healthcare. They, they're in charge of what the priorities are for their health. And so... Um, when you go into your encounter with your visit, make sure that you recognize that you're driving the the truck. Just make sure that um, you know what you're going into, what your goals are, what you're trying to accomplish in that in that time, and then um, work with your provider to make sure that you get those needs met. Offhand, and it's okay if you don't have an answer to this one, do you know of any resources either for a provider or a patient to kind of better equip themselves going into visits? If a, if a provider in a small town clinic wants to be better suited to handle um, LGBTQ plus patients, is there um, foundations or resources online that they can 
look up or kind of equip themselves with? Sure, there, there's a lot of patient advocacy groups that have uh, put together patient guides, ways to organize your information. All of the uh, specific specialties like uh, the Family Practice um, Academy and the American Academy of Pediatrics, they all have guides like that that you can go to their website and download and it helps you just organize the information so you can go into the visit knowing what you are wanting to accomplish. And, and sometimes that is just a matter of organize your information in a way that uh, doctors think and so that it makes it easier for them to take it and, and run with it. Um, but yeah, luckily in this information age, there's just so many resources to go to to, uh, to become a better advocate for yourself. Awesome. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for spending the time with us today to kind of um, dive into this topic of patient-provider relationships. I know it's something that um, continues to evolve as the landscape of our healthcare changes, um, but I think we touched on some great points that uh, patients can take to advocate for their own healthcare uh, and some food for thought for providers as well. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was great.